We both like to win. We both detested getting beat. The love affairs have had plenty because been with, with some tremendous football clubs. There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Welcome to Merseyside Legends. The Tales and Tapes with John Keith. It was a frustrating time, I mean, because um, you know, there was leaflets going around the ground. There was, uh, I don't believe that you were writing kind words about me either. Um, no, it was understandable. It was, it was a big club, mm. a big club that was struggling yeah. and not winning games. And the crowds were very, very low at the time. Yeah. And, you, you, you know, you can't last that long at a, at a big club like Everton Football Club um, without achieving results and, and bringing the fans back in. In his first season in charge, Kendall made six appearances in the team, becoming with Liverpool's Kenny Dalglish one of the only two player managers in Merseyside football history. Everton finished eighth in Kendall's first season in charge, a distinct improvement on the 15th place in Lee's final season, especially given the number of the squad in and outs with John Gidman, Jim McDonough, Gary Megson, Imri Varadi, Asa Harford and Gary Stanley following Latchford through the Goodison exit. Into the side came Gary Stevens, Brian Burrows, Kevin Richardson and centre-forward Sharp, who'd arrived from Dumbarton in 1980 and would go on to become Everton's second-highest scorer in history with 160 goals in 447 appearances, headed only by the amazing Dixie Dean's 383 goals from 433 games. For his second campaign in charge, Kendall brought midfielder Andy King back to Goodison from West Brom, with Eastow moving in the opposite direction, and Sterling Goodison servant Mick Lyons joining Sheffield Wednesday. Kendall also made two signings from across the park, with Liverpool's England striker David Johnson, then 30, returning to the club where he'd started his career, and Republic of Ireland midfielder Kevin Sheedy also arriving at Goodison, both for £100,000 fees. Sheedy, he of the inspirational left foot, spent a decade at Goodison and featured hugely in Everton's renaissance. Another midfielder who played a massive role in that, Peter Reid, arrived in December 1982 for a bargain £60,000 from Bolton. But before the pleasure of seeing Everton riding high, there was plenty of pain for Kendall and the fans to endure. Although Everton finished 7th in 1982-83, a meagre attendance of 12,972 for the penultimate home game was Goodison's lowest post-war, a warning of the terrace unrest to come. A dismal start of only four wins in the opening 12 games of 1983-84 sowed the seeds for the so-called winter of discontent. The 12th match of that sequence was a 3-0 defeat at Liverpool and the fans voting with their feet. The writing was on the wall, literally. Supporters had flyers printed and banners unfurled demanding Kendall and Carter out, a reference to Everton chairman Philip, later Sir Philip. It was a frustrating time, I mean, because, um, you know, there was leaflets going around the ground, there was, um, you know, I don't believe that you were writing kind words about me either. Um, 
No, it was understandable. It was a, it was a big club, mm. a big club that was struggling yeah. and not winning games. And the crowds were very, very low at the time. Yeah. And, you, you know, you can't last that long at a, at a big club like Everton Football Club um, without achieving results and, and bringing the fans back in. Did you ever think that the end was nigh for you, Howder? Yeah, well, I did, yeah. Did I, I, I mean, as I say, I don't think you, you could have continued any longer or much longer. Uh, then the, the club would have had to make a decision. Yeah. You say I didn't write some nice things. Well, maybe I didn't, but I, what I am pleased with is that I rang the chairman and he said, I want, I'm glad you've rung me because I want to give you a vote of confidence in Howard that is a true vote of confidence yeah, from yeah, the chairman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he ran it in the Express, in the Daily Express. And it was, he was true to his word, yes, wasn't he? it was, yeah. yeah. yeah with, but as I say, this it, is it, Phil it, Carter. At that particular time, but it depends on how long you know, the, the, the bad results were, were coming in and, um, yeah. and the crowd's not improving. One ill-informed radio reporter spotting Mike England seated in the Goodison stand announced on the air that Kendall was being sacked with England taking over as Everton manager. It was utter nonsense, but Kendall's family heard it and it was not until he arrived home that evening he was able to reassure them he was still in the job. But salvation was round the corner for Kendall and Everton, with the catalyst proving to be the £250,000 November signing of injury-hampered striker Andy Gray from Wolves, who'd become Britain's most expensive player when he moved from Aston Villa to Molyneux for £1.15 million in September 1979. And I thought, I've got to take a chance on two players um, who... I'd had injury problems previously. Uh, they both got through medical streams and medicals with us. Um, Peter Reid and, and Andy Gray. Mm. And they, they transformed the other players in that team. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, you, you, made, you made three big decisions. You signed Andy Gray, despite the fact that a lot of clubs wouldn't touch him because he had a persistent knee injury, yeah, didn't yeah. he? Peter Reid, you promoted. And injuries, right. injuries mainly. And you promoted Colin Hart Colin as well, to yeah, work with yeah. Nick Heaton yeah. and yourself. Yeah. And it was um, touch touch a genius there three times, Howard. A little bit of love, John, as well. I mean, well, uh, you know, I mean, as I say, the medical side of of Peter and Andy, um, naturally, the, the specialist was aware that, that they'd had these problems. Yeah. But he also took into consideration how many games had played, certainly Andy, over the previous two seasons. He said if he keeps working on his quads, and stabilizes his knee. I see no reason why I should turn him down. Now, Peter had a recurrence of his knee problem when, um, just after I signed him, and, and that was worrying. Yeah. Um, but he got over that, and he learned, really, how to close people down without tackling them. Right. And robbing them of the ball. Yeah. Because he couldn't go in with a crunching tackle uh, be because he had a dodgy knee. Many fans criticised the signing, pointing to Gray's battle to stay fit. And after the Scotland striker had made his debut in a 1-0 home win over Nottingham Forest, he scored only once in his first nine appearances. But his combative impact and linking with Sharp and Heath spearheaded Everton to a grand revival, with Kevin Ratcliffe appointed captain after Mark Higgins sustained a pelvic injury, never playing for the club again, and Colin Harvey promoted from reserve team coach to assistant manager. By the time Everton opened their FA Cup campaign with a third round trip to fellow top flight club Stoke City in early January, they were languishing 16th in the table. 
but Kendall opened the dressing room window so his players could hear the sound of their travelling fans and they responded with a 2-0 win through goals from Gray and his fellow Scot Alan Irvine. The corner had been turned as Kendall's side went on a run of only five defeats in 36 games in three competitions, a journey that would take them to two Wembley finals, their first trophy since 1970 and a seventh place finish in the top flight. It was a superb turnaround for Kendall. He started climbing the league. Um, to stay in the cup competitions was very, very important. Um, and at the end of the season, of course, it, it all came, came good. You opened the window, wasn't it, at Stoke, the FA Cup, and said, listen to those fans, and they went out and... They were amazing, the fans, because, I mean, you know, even though that they'd, they'd seen a struggle, um, they really got behind us in the cup, in the cup rounds, and um, I, I didn't need to, to motivate. All the organisation was done on the training ground before we got to Stoke. Uh, and I didn't have to motivate the players. I, I thought, well, just let them listen to them. Uh, and your form from Christmas through to the FA Cup final win over Watford was uh, it was title-winning form, wasn't it? Not just cup-winning form. Had it gone through the season, it was a tremendous run. Yeah, it was, it was a remarkable change run. Well, every time I looked down the training ground, you know, at Belfield, I saw quality. And they weren't taking it out onto the pitch for them. You know, because I'm, I think that maybe there was a, it was a young side, inexperienced, um, not really making decisions for themselves on the field. One of the great pivotal moments in Everton history happened at Oxford United of the old third division late in the League Cup quarter-final. Everton were nine minutes away from being knocked out by their lowly opponents who were leading through a Bobby McDonald goal when United's Kevin Brock, harried by Peter Reid, attempted a back pass which was pounced on by Adrian Heath who rounded goalkeeper Steve Hardwick and struck the equaliser. It was a huge rallying result for Kendall's team, who won the Goodison replay 4-1 and beat Aston Villa on a 2-1 aggregate in the semi-final to set up Wembley's first all-Mersey collision with Liverpool at Wembley in the final on March 25. Merseyside was like an evacuated zone, as thousands of supporters, with and without tickets, set off for Wembley, one wag placing a poster on a southbound motorway slip road that read, Will the last one to leave please switch the lights off? The South was amazed at how rival fans travelled and mingled together, especially with some from the same family having different football loyalties. In turn, the visiting hordes had a common complaint. The London price of 85p a pint was well in excess of the cost on Merseyside. It was estimated that 70,000 Everton and Liverpool fans were among the 100,000 crowd to watch the battle that kicked off on a wet Sunday afternoon, being live to the nation on ITV. And at last, this is really what the players want. To get on the move and to get out onto that rain-soaked pitch. The first ever All-Merseyside Cup final first final here on a Sunday and a roar the like of which you have rarely heard before the red flags and the blue flags waving in unison there which really should as Brian was saying a bit earlier be a message for football everywhere 
six minutes on the Wembley clock, Evertonians to a man shouted penalty when Heath's shot appeared to be blocked by Alan Hansen's hand. It looked a blatant spot kick and television confirmed it, but neither referee Alan Robinson nor his linesman took any action. More proof that such incidents are nothing new. Although Liverpool twice had the ball in the Everton net in the second half through Alan Kennedy and Ronnie Whelan, they were correctly ruled offside. Fortunately for Everton, it was a day when Ian Rush met his match in his Wales teammate Neville Southall, who produced some fine goalkeeping to deny the lean and hungry striker. Everton lost Kevin Sheedy after 75 minutes, Alan Harper replacing him, and his ankle ligament damage would rule him out for the rest of the season. The crowd gave many renditions of their chant, Merseyside, Merseyside, and although there were no goals after extra time, the crowd acclaimed rival fullbacks John Bailey and Kennedy as they ran round the stadium together at the end with red and blue scarves tied together around their heads. And the whistle is gone, and it's nil-nil, and the teams will have to meet again at Main Road, Manchester, on Wednesday evening. Always something of an anti-climax when a cup final finishes. Goalless, and it has to be replayed again. Southall, who made some remarkably good saves for Everton. And Everton, who certainly, in the first half at any rate, made the better chances, but defended well and resolutely throughout, particularly during a period in the second half when Liverpool looked as though they were going to get thoroughly on top. The battle continued at Main Road Manchester the following Wednesday evening, and this time there was a goal, just one, struck powerfully over Southall by Graham Souness's left foot to give Liverpool their first of three trophies that season, later followed by the league title and European Cup. But Kendall's Everton had their eyes on silverware too, and at Wembley in May 1984, they ended the season by beating Watford 2-0, with goals from Scottish strike partners Graham Sharp and Andy Gray, the latter having missed the earlier League Cup final through suspension. Watford chairman Elton John, who wept tears of joy pre-match as he saw his beloved team walk out onto the hallowed turf, must have felt like singing sad songs at the end. But for Kendall it was sheer joy at landing Everton's first trophy since the team he'd been a part of won the title 14 years earlier in 1970. Of a club that's won an FA Cup, it can't take that away from you. It's the first one, it's the first trophy. Yeah. And you're in Europe, and I think it was um, a great achievement. Oh, it was indeed. It was, uh, and it broke uh, many years for Everton without a trophy as well. Of course, they yeah. Had, um, you know, they, they'd waited a long time—14 years since your league championship was a long time. Kendall and Everton now had the taste for silverware, and the following season of 1984-85, preceded by the departures of Alan Irvine and Andy King, and the signing of key midfielder Paul Bracewell, and the arrival of Pat Van Den Howe, they went close to landing a treble, but had to settle for a double. Everton went back to Wembley to beat Liverpool 1-0 in the charity shield through a Bruce Grobbler own goal, but then suffered successive defeats, 4-1 at home to Tottenham and 2-1 at West Brom, a strange start to the most successful season in the club's history. 
but they then went on a 20-match unbeaten run in all competitions until a very unlikely 1-0 home League Cup defeat to Grimsby Town in November. During that sequence there were moments and matches still cherished by Evertonians who witnessed them. Sharp's only goal of the Anfield derby gave them a deserved win over Liverpool, described here by Radio City's Clive Tilsley. Sporting a red cap in this second half for a scroller as the sun sets behind the cop end, which Liverpool are now attacking. And already made one breathtaking save from Gary Stevens in this game. Long right-footed clearance, finds Stevens. Here's Reed on the halfway line. Back to Stevens again. Floated forward with the right foot, seeking out Graham Shaw. Lovely first touch, right-footed volley. Brilliant goal by Graham Shaw. First blood to the Blues down at the Anfield Road end. And an absolute classic from Graham Sharp. Marvellous goal. Grubbler never saw it. Controlled it with his first touch. High ball played over his head. And then thumped it in on the volley from 20 yards. And our Everton to end the long wait for a victory at Anfield. Manchester United were then humbled 5-0 at Goodison, with Sheedy striking twice and Heath and Sharp adding singles. Here are the goals from that memorable afternoon. Olsen on the edge of his own penalty area continues the clearance. Only as far as Mountfield though. A high one into the box. Sheedy arriving with a header. It's a good one. He's scored! Kevin Sheedy within four minutes of his return to the side gets an absolutely priceless goal for Everton. One again by Kevin Sheedy and Everton are winning so much in the middle of the field. And here's Adrian Heath trying to make capital of it. Sheedy inside the penalty area. 2-0. Absolutely marvellous goal. Kevin Sheedy's second of the game. And Everton have torn Manchester United apart in the opening quarter of this game. Ratcliffe then with a free kick. A high one in towards the head of Graham Sharp. Got a turn on. McQueen away from Heath. Then Moses competing the clearance. Only as far as Trevor Stephen. Rifle in again. All in court again. Adrian Heath makes it three. And this is a memorable afternoon. Square to Stevens, 10 yards outside the penalty area. He's gone past Olsen, right-footed shot, 4-0. And Everton free kick, down by the corner flag on the left-hand side. Adrian Heath will take it. Bent in towards Sharp, it's there. 5-0 to Everton. Oh, this is a memorable afternoon for the Blues. Absolute delirium at Goodison Park. They'll remember this afternoon for a long, long time. Particularly if Everton finished top of the pile in May. Everton went top of the league with a 3-0 home win over Leicester City in early November and apart from a period in late December and early January, stayed there until the end of the season. In Europe, Everton progressed to the Cup Winners' Cup quarter-final by beating University College Dublin and Inter Bratislava before Dutch opponents Fortuna Sittard were demolished 3-0 at Goodison by a hat-trick from Andy Gray, who resumed as Sharp's attack partner following Heath's season-ending injury in December. It was Gray's first treble for eight years, and here's how he did it. Reed, edge of the penalty area, tries a shot, Van Gerven hasn't held it, Andy Gray, he's got it. Andy Gray makes the deadlock, Van Gerven's fault really. He couldn't hold Reed's shot, and Gray follows in from close range. Curran, inside the penalty area now, loops it across the far side. Gray, he's done it again. Andy Gray scored for Everton, a diving header, getting on the end of Curran's cross, getting in ahead of Gerven. Swooping down to head the ball over the line. Everton 2, Fortuna 0, and that could have killed off the Dutchman. Sheedy swings the ball in towards Gray's, and the hat-trick will score anyway. Gray's on his hat-trick. Andy Gray follows up his second with his third. Kuberman's disconsolate. He handled anyway. The referee waved advantage. Gray pounced onto it.
it and thundered a shot into the roof of the net. Everton now in full flight and the Dutchmen are down and out and that surely books Everton's place in the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup. Everton completed their passage to the semi-final on a 5-0 aggregate with a 2-0 second leg win in Holland. Everton's path in the FA Cup took them past Leeds United, Doncaster Rovers and Telford before a quarter-final home clash with Ipswich in March, an afternoon of joy and sadness. The joy was Kevin Sheedy's, the Republic of Ireland star scoring from a twice-taken free kick after only five minutes. It was awarded in an inviting position a yard outside the box and Sheedy bent his kick over the Ipswich wall and into the top right-hand corner of goalkeeper Paul Cooper's net. Celebrations, though, were immediately extinguished when referee Alan Robinson ruled he hadn't signalled for it to be taken and ordered a retake. This time, dead ball expert Sheedy sent the ball past Cooper again and Goodison exploded. Sheedy's double take inspired the title of his biography, So Good I Did It Twice, which I had the pleasure of writing with him. So I'd always try and get there as quickly as possible just to see if it was an advantage to be given, whether the goalkeeper wasn't ready or on this occasion got to the ball really early and uh, the ball wasn't set up properly, so I bent it over the ball into Paul Cooper's top right-hand corner. Um, so the, the referee stopped it, made me retake it, so the ball got organised. Um, the see Paul Cooper and he, he knew where I, I could put it in that top corner so he just sort of was edging over there he was obviously frightened I was going to do the same again and he, he left uh, a little bit more of a gap on his to his left so I managed just to to dig the ball over. Ipswich hit back to lead 2-1 and Everton were four minutes away from their first home FA Cup defeat in a decade until that goal scoring centre-back Derek Mountfield equalised. The dramatic afternoon ended with the sad death from a heart attack in the Goodison stand of former manager Harry Catterick, five years to the month since another Goodison great, the legendary Dixie Dean, died as a spectator in the same stand. Catterick was the last Everton boss prior to Kendall to steer the club to the league title. After Sheedy's free-kick heroics, a thigh injury kept him out of the midweek replay at Ipswich, but Graham Sharp returned after a four-match absence with ankle ligament damage and dispatched the 75th-minute penalty for the only goal of the game to book Everton's semi-final ticket. Andy Gray struck another valuable goal in the 10th minute of Everton's league visit to title rivals Tottenham when Trevor Stephen added another in the second half. Tottenham's hopes of a comeback were squashed with an outstanding Neville Southall save from Mark Falco. Southall with another enormous clearance down the field. Miller heads it down. Andy Gray 1-0. Oh, what a marvellous finish by Andy Gray. And what a superb tonic for Everton. Nine minutes gone. A It headed it square, and Andy Gray, first time from 20 yards, thundered a shot past Clemens. And how important a goal will that prove to be in Everton's bid to win back the title? Down the field for Trevor Stephen to chase. Mark Bowen, oh, he's been dispossessed by Stephen, who's got a great chance. He's gone round Clemens, he must score, he has done. Trevor Stephen makes it 2 0 for Everton, and that could be the goal which wins the championship. It was a fearful mistake by young Mark Bowen. And Trevor Stevens so alert, pounced on the ball, took it round Clarence, side-footed it into the empty net. 
and Trevor Stephen gives Everton a two-goal cushion and it could be a four-point cushion at the top of the table with 11 games to play. A 4-1 home trouncing of Sunderland thanks to a brace from Gray and singles from Sharp and Stephen took table-topping Everton to 100 goals for the season in all competitions and 19 games unbeaten. Their next engagement brought a rare blank for Kendall's side, but it was still a result to build on. A nil-nil scoreline at much-fancied Bayern Munich in the first leg of the European Cup Winners' Cup semi-final. Three days later, it was on to the FA Cup semi-final against Luton at Villa Park, when goals from the returning Sheedy and Manfield gave Everton a 2-1 extra-time win to secure their third Wembley date in a year where they'd meet Manchester United, who were 2-1 victors over Liverpool in the semi-final replay at Main Road. Successive league wins over West Brom and Stoke City were the prelude to Everton's Goodison collision with Bayern in the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final return, recalled as one of the greatest nights in Goodison's glorious history. This was Kendall's lineup that faced the German giants and favourites for the competition. Neville Southall in goal, a back four of Gary Stevens, Derek Manfield, Captain Kevin Ratcliffe and Pat van den Howe, a midfield of Trevor Stephen, Peter Reid, Paul Bracewell and Kevin Sheedy, with Graham Sharp and Andy Gray up front. A crowd of 49,476, Goodison's biggest of the season, generated a pulsating atmosphere, but home fans were shocked when Bayern snatched a surprise 37th minute lead. In a breakaway from an Everton corner, Lothar Mateos sent Ludwig Kogel through on goal, and although Southall saved his shot, Data Honus scored from the rebound. Suddenly, you could hear a pin drop. It was the first goal Everton had conceded in Europe that season. As the Everton players arrived in the dressing room at half-time, Kendall reminded them that they'd be attacking the Gladys Street end after the break and that the fans would be like an extra man. Kendall was spot on. The fans made an incredible noise and within three minutes of the restart, Everton were level on the night. A long throw from Stevens, flicked on by Gray for Sharp to score at the far post. His 29th goal of the season to extend his record of scoring in every European round. Now the blue touch paper was well and truly lit. Gray was in typical combative mood and after a lot of stick from his marker Hans Fluger, his patience snapped and he kicked out at him. Fortunately, Swedish referee Erik Fredriksson produced only a yellow card which transpired to be a crucial decision. Another Bayern defender, Norbert Eder, went off for treatment for a broken nose after another tussle with Gray, and during that break, Kendall called over Sheedy and gave him an instruction. Got Andy Gray in the box, sharp in the box, the ball's come in, and uh, I think Andy's got the first one, um, and the whole ground, the whole next yeah, yeah. it was like unbelievable. And it was just, it just got an extra, 10% out of you, you know, everybody. Um, and then when the second goal went, it was, um, again, a long throw. Big Sharpie got at the end of it. Um, and it was, it was the game opened up then sort of thing. And uh, Andy Gray's gone up and elbowed, yeah. elbowed the um, centre half anyway. And the dip, it was a break in play then as I just get treatment. And it shows it on the video, how it calls me over sort of thing. And you could 
see him saying things to me sort yeah. of thing. I went to um, one of these dudes where they, they replayed it, you know, in front of the sports. Yeah, yeah. Asking, oh, yeah. You know, stopping and asking questions. Yes. Oh, so yes, yeah. One of the, the lads said, uh, what's Howard saying to you? He said, what tactical switch is he, is he saying sort of thing? But at the time we were two and up the game had opened up and we were attacking, they were attacking. Mm. And we had a couple of attacks and Sharpie kept running offside. So Howard just got, tell Sharpie that Scottish to stop running off live. <laughs> When the game resumed, there was also plenty going on in a rival dugout, with Bayern coach Udo Latek shouting to his opposite number, Kendall, this isn't football, this is war, you are all madmen. Kendall had an instant two-word reply, the second being off. Latex players were equally fired up with Soren Lerby leaving Reed with stud mark holes in his shin, which physio John Clinkard said needed stitching. But Reed, being the warrior he was, stuck a sponge down his blood-soaked sock and waded back into the battle. With 17 minutes left, it was still 1-1, with Bayern set to progress on the away goal rule. But another long throw from Stevens changed all that. Gray threw himself forward to connect with it. Goalkeeper Jean-Marie Paff hesitated and Gray forced the ball into the net. That sparked all-out attack from both sides until the tie was settled four minutes from the end. Sheedy playing in Gray, who found Trevor Stephen, and he ran on to fire in Everton's third goal and secure their first, and to date only, appearance in a European final. Bedlam ensued, the noise level shaking the goodest and rafters. Edge of the penalty area, great save by Neville Southall. Ernest still has an opportunity, great chance for him to score and he has done. And that is the away goal that Bayern Munich have been seeking and Dieter Hernis has scored it. Bounced off Argenthaler, had a play for an Everton throw. 20 yards from the corner flag on the right-hand side. Gary Stevens will take it, in towards Andy Gray. Up go the heads, flicked on towards Sharp. Oh, he's there! Graham Sharp has touched it in. Stevens takes a throw in towards the near post. Fahel, no, he didn't. Gray looked in, and it's a goal. Andy Gray has put Everton in front. Bayern are furious because Faf came for the long throw. Felt he was impeded, didn't collect it. But Andy Gray didn't stand around and find out. He thumped it in the back of the net. Celebration time at Goodison Park. They're very close to their first European final now because Andy Gray, a hat trick in the quarter final, has come up with a crucial semi final. inside the Bayern half, Trevor Stephen has a great chance, edge of the penalty area, Trevor Stephen sends Everton to the final, 3-1 the score on the night, and that will be the goal that does it, Trevor Stephen's first ever in European competition, sends Everton to their first ever final, and you can tell your grandchildren about this night, Liverpool are there in the European Cup final, Everton are now there in the Cup Winners' Cup final, Merseyside rules. Here's Kendall and Andy Gray reflecting on that eventful, unforgettable evening. I could see at the corner of my eye, I think it was Uli Hoonis, their coach was waiting and he went, you, you and your team, you are crazy men. 
You are absolutely crazy. That was not football, he's shouting. I said, we're in the final, you're not. And I just turned and walked away from him. I mean, I think the, the real final was the Bayern Munich one. I was just going to say, I, I think many people say that's the greatest game they've seen at Goodison. Well, it was absolutely incredible night. Um, I did feel that they were possibly the, the best team that you could, we could come up against in the competition. Um, and they the, got the, ahead as well, of course. Yeah, the nil-nil away. Mm. Uh, I remember Rudo Latek, their trainer, uh, saying he was he was delighted with the nil-nil. Well, I was delighted with the nil-nil as well. Yes. But, so, I mean... But when he's, the reason for him saying it is because we hadn't got an away goal. And they got that in the first half at Goodison, which uh, at half-time I just said to the player, just keep going, because I couldn't see a fault in, in our performance, our attitude or anything. And they did that, second half going to Gladys Street, and what a magnificent atmosphere. Oh, it was unbelievable. Uh, Mr. Latek wasn't too happy at the end. He, well, he joined the game. He said, this isn't football, didn't he? He kept shouting things like this. Yeah, yeah, Kendall, this is not football. It was when Andy Gray just elbowed the uh, centre-half off, <laughs> off the pitch a couple of times and there was blood streaming down his nose. Yeah. He just marched up on the touchline and said, Kendall, this is not football. <laughs> you can imagine the response he got. Oh, oh, yes, I can. But, I mean... How good that performance was was summed up. Colin Harvey told me this. I don't know whether you were. I think you were. You were there at the time. Alex Ferguson was watching the match, and he said to Colin, uh, "That was a fantastic performance." He said, "Your team played like a gang of Glasgow brothers." <laughs> Lovely. Which I thought yeah. really summed up how great yeah. Everton were yeah, that night. Yeah, yeah. Everton now had ten games left with a fabled treble well in their sights. They won the next two league games without conceding a goal to leave them poised to become champions in their next match, a Goodison meeting with Queen's Park Rangers. Roared on by a 50,000 plus crowd, their biggest for 14 months, Everton duly delivered their first league title since Kendall's playing days in 1970. Corner kick on the right-hand side. Sheedy will take it in towards the near post. Not headed away convincingly by Gregory. Back in by Gray. Van den Howe, Mountfield, 1-0. Derek Mountfield breaks the deadlock. Here's Bracewell, midway inside the Rangers' half. Square to Pat Van den Howe. Crossed in again with a left foot. Graham Sharp with a headed chance, 2-0. Graham Sharp's 30th of the season. Ignites the fuse. The party has started. Everton now are the champions. You can be sure of that. Everton have a throw-in just inside their own half on the left-hand side. The referee milking the situation, has his whistle in his mouth. That's it. Champions. Everton complete the first leg of the treble and go on to Rotterdam and to Wembley as the champions of England. The following midweek, Everton's 3-0 home win over West Ham with another two goals from that man, Manfield, was preceded by the presentation of the prize trophy to captain Kevin Ratcliffe, who had to sit out the game with an injury. Applauding the supporters, Peter Reid, a one-arm salute which says it all. Scarves and hats being thrown out from the Gladys Street for their favourites to wear on this great moment. And just listen to the singing. Well, greatest team the world has ever seen, I don't know yet. As often happens after a high, Everton had a brief low in their next outing, losing 1-0 at Nottingham Forest, which ended their 28-game unbeaten run, although they were without injured quartet Gray, Sharp, Reed and Bracewell. 
but all four were back in action the following Wednesday for Everton's date with history, their first ever European final. Everton handled the challenge with cool control and although Gray had a strike disallowed for offside just before the interval, he scored one that counted in the 57th minute after Sharp intercepted a back pass, rounded rapid keeper Michael Consell and passed for Gray to finish. Everton made it 2-0 after 72 minutes when Sheedy's corner was flicked on by Sharp, Mountfield ducked and Trevor Stephen connected at the far post for his 16th goal of the season. Rapid star man and captain Hans Crankle was clearly a danger to Everton and he cut their advantage by converting a pass from Johan Gross. But with the Austrians still celebrating scoring, Sheedy secured victory with a delightful goal, taking Sharp's pass and chipping the keeper as he came rushing off his line. Weber, eyeball forward, finds Rustic, 10 yards inside his own half. Pulls off the challenge of Bracewell comes back to line up, all the way back towards Consell, Sharp there first, he's intercepted the back pass, get back to Andy Gray, 1-0, and Andy Gray has scored, Everton have and Andy Gray, the hero of the quarter-final when he scored a hat-trick, the hero of the semi-final against Bayern Munich, to be the hero of the Cup Winners' Cup final tonight. Didi will take the corner kick on the right-hand side, in towards the near post, oh he's got his way down! to play very careful, carefully not to put across my feelings of uh, confidence yes. to the players mm. um, because, um, you know, they, there was a danger that they could have been complacent. Yeah. And, and they especially were. after, you know, going 2-0 in front as well, I went down to the dugout and this um, this foreign newsman came along with a, with a microphone. Kendall, what is it like to win European Cup Winners' Cup? And I was just about to speak, and Crankle scored. I said, clear off. <laughs> so that made it 2-1, you see. Yeah, so I mean, I and then Shady went straight down and scored. And put, I called him back, and I said, I'll speak to you. <laughs> With the league championship already at Goodison, they had completed a superb double, a great addition to Howard Kendall's CV. Everton flew home with the European prize ready for their treble chance, their FA Cup final collision with Manchester United. It meant a quick turnaround for Kendall and his squad, but when they arrived at their pre-Wembley base in Hertfordshire, they were confident they could complete a treble. 
Kendall named an unchanged side to face Ron Atkinson's United, who had been title rivals of Everton, but the final, played on a sweltering Saturday afternoon, did not go Everton's way. Peter Reid knocked on wood early in the contest, but his luck was out. A long throw from Gary Stevens was punched out by United keeper Gary Bailey, straight to Reid, who volleyed it straight back on target, only for John Gidman to deflect it onto a post and away. Gidman later revealed, the only reason I made contact with Reedy's shot was because I was wearing extra long studs. With the normal ones, I wouldn't have got to the ball and it would have been in. On such fine margins, victory and defeat often hinge and it was the latter in this case for Everton. Even when Kevin Moran scythed down Reed and was sent off by referee Peter Willis in the 78th minute, it seemed to galvanise United rather than boost Everton. The game went goalless into extra time and there were only 10 minutes of play left when United scored a decisive and superbly taken goal by Norman Whiteside. So, the treble had gone, but it had been the most successful season in Everton history, in which they set an English record of 43 wins from their 63 games in all competitions, and were named European Team of the Year. Other accolades poured in, Kendall named Manager of the Year, Neville Southall elected Footballer of the Year by the Football Writers and Peter Reid voted Player of the Year by his colleagues in the Professional Footballers Association. But, 11 days after the FA Cup final, football was devastated by the disaster at the Heysel Stadium in Brussels, when 39 people died at the European Cup final between Liverpool and Juventus, from which the English game would take decades to recover, if it ever has. English clubs were immediately withdrawn from Europe by the FA and later banned by UEFA. Here's Kendall on the tragedy of Heysel. The players themselves believed that they're never going to be beaten, John. Mm. And that was a, was a tremendous feeling in the dressing room, sending them out there. But you, you, you can't say for definite, you know, you're going to go out and, you, you know, you, you feel as if you're the best side in Europe. Yeah. Um, but we were denied the opportunity to, to prove it. I mean, we could have gone out the first first round sure. to UCD in Dublin. Sure. <laughs> oh, know, in the year you won yeah, the cup when it's yeah, in the If, if oh. they'd scored in the last couple yes. of minutes, they would have through on their way goal. Incredible as it sounds, yeah. you're right. So you, yeah. you, you, you can't really say that we... We would have been one of the favourites, I know that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it must have had a... I know it had a profound effect on you, and it must have had a profound effect on the players as well. Well, you know, they, the two Stevens, they went up to Glasgow. Um, I felt that the challenge of Europe, I mean, I enjoyed the European campaign mm. so much. Mm. And the, the ban, um, well, I mean, I, I, it just affected everybody around it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think Everton Football Club were the, were the biggest to suffer, really, you know, in, in terms of um, another tragedy. So you can't take that away. But in terms of football, mm. I think Everton Football Club were uh, the biggest losers. In four years, Kendall had worked from a low base to transform Everton fortunes. And despite the repercussions of Heysel and the European ban, there was more success to come. I'll pick up the story in the third and final part of our Howard Kendall podcast. So from me, John Keith, and our producer, Ollie Cowan, it's goodbye and keep listening. <laughs>